Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Language Classroom, a branded podcast brought to you by Fuel Education. Fuel Education partners with school districts to fuel personalized learning and transform the education experience inside and outside the classroom. The company provides innovative solutions for pre-K through 12th grade that empower districts to implement successful online and blended learning programs. I'm your host, Andréanne King. The Language Classroom is a podcast about world languages, education, and how to design the best program and activities for your classroom. We are here to be your guide on the nitty-gritty of what makes a language classroom successful. How can you get your students to speak more, get better results? In our episode, we will take you step-by-step to create your very own language program using the latest pedagogy and design techniques available. Think of it as free professional development that you can listen to in your car or out on a walk. With each episode, you will also be able to access free downloadable content related to the topic of the episode by going to resources.fueleducation.com forward slash podcast. Each episode will come with a PowerPoint providing some visual support, explaining the concepts of the theme and some templates and resources to help you in the creation of your language program. Today, the first part of our podcast will focus on starting your classroom curriculum. We will talk about how to organize your can-do statements and select the themes you will cover during a year. In the second part of the episode, we will talk about authentic materials. So far, in our first episode, you have learned how to assess your students' proficiency level and in our second episode, how to select can-do statements, write them, and unpack them. Now that you have those crucial elements figured out, you can begin the skeleton of your curriculum. Based on the starting proficiency level of your students, you should have a good idea of where you want your students to be at the end of the year. As we discussed in the first episode, a realistic goal for a year of instruction would be something like a progression of one or two sub-levels. If your students start the year as novice mid, a realistic expectation for the end of the year should be novice high, with some students at intermediate low. Also remember that the jump from major levels can sometimes take more time, so you might not have as many students who are able to sustain the intermediate production level. Now let's talk curriculum. If you visit the podcast page, you will find a blank template to help you get your curriculum started. Do you have a printer handy? If so, go ahead and pause the podcast, print the template so that you can follow along and organize your thoughts. The first component of your curriculum is the themes you would like to cover in a year. Will you be talking about greetings, food, outside activities, travel, etc.? There are so many different topics you can choose from, as long as they are level appropriate. In general, you can mostly select what you want to discuss, unless you have a classroom book to follow or prescriptive state standards, which we'll discuss in a few minutes. The best way to decide on the themes you will cover is to go back to the proficiency levels and see what your students should be able to talk about at their level. If you're working with novices, you want to focus on themes that are related to them and their lives. Greetings, food, hobbies, family are all excellent starting points. For intermediate, you want them to talk about themselves but also about their routine, their past, and their future goals. For example, you could talk about their town, their school, their weekend activities, etc. 
For advanced students, you want them to be able to talk about the community and the life around them. So good topics are professions, culture, travel, and the environment. And finally, with superior students, you want them to communicate about the world and the different dynamics that play around them. At this point, they should be able to talk about politics, social norms, stereotypes, and the news event. State standards can often be a good place to search for themes for your curriculum. While your school may or may not hold you accountable to aligning your curriculum with the state objectives, they can still be some very good inspiration for topics at your student's level. If your school does want you to align your curriculum with the standards, the best way to do it is to try to match your can-do statements with as many standards as possible. In our curriculum template, we have some space built in for you to add the standards correlation. A quick way to find your state standard is to visit the website of the Board of Education of your state. Lastly, as you might be working with an online curriculum or a textbook in your class, consulting the themes covered is also a good way to align your classroom activities to the content. That way, you can prepare some blended activities and use the content already created to supplement what you will build. We will spend one of our follow-up episodes discussing blended learning in detail, so make sure to tune in if you want more information on how to incorporate online resources to your instruction. At this point, you should have a list of the themes you're thinking about covering. Depending on the time of the year and the amount of time you have with each of your classes, a theme might span a few weeks, an entire month, or maybe just a week. You can decide it once you select the can-do statements associated with each of them. For each of the themes, think about the proficiency expectation and what your students should be able to do. If you're talking about greetings, are you expecting your students to be able to greet each other, introduce themselves, use culturally appropriate expressions when meeting someone else? The list can be quite long. Since you don't want to reinvent the wheel, do a quick search on the internet or consult actful lists of can-do statements to give you some ideas. Once you have completed your original brainstorm, you might end up with a long list of can-dos for all your different themes. That doesn't mean that you have to spend one lesson on each of them. Often, you will see that some of them can be accomplished at the same time and can be grouped. This can be a great way to cover a lot of ground while still giving your students a granular view of what they're learning. A good practice is to explain to your students what can-do statements are and write them on the board at the beginning and end of a lesson. That way, your students can keep track of their progress and always remember what the final task is that they're trying to accomplish. Keep in mind that you can also adjust your can-do statements as you see how your students are progressing. An idea to adjust your curriculum to students who are progressing faster would be to have the can-do statement and a can-do statement plus. While the regular can-do is the goal of the day of instruction, the can-do plus could be accomplished for an extra reward or classroom advantage. The task required to show their progress at the plus level could be done on a handout which can be prepared in advance. This allows for all students to be engaged at all times, even if they work a little faster. A very simple example of a can-do and a can-do plus could be something like this. I can say hello and goodbye for the regular can-do. And for the can-do plus, it could be I can greet and say goodbye to someone my own age and I can greet and say goodbye to a teacher or supervisor. In this case, some students might quickly notice the difference between formal and informal greetings, but for other, the can-do to master should be the basic greeting. Finally, 
don't forget to make sure that you have can-do statements for the interpretive, presentational, and interpersonal modes, as well as for the writing, reading, speaking, and listening skills. Some can-dos often pair up the skills like I can ask and answer simple information on my routine, which would bring together speaking and listening skills, but making sure that you have can-do statements for all modes can take a bit more effort. A great way to think of it is to imagine that your classroom activities are working in a circular motion. You might start with a series of activities around a video showing people at a restaurant. This would be your interpretive task. Then, students would create a menu and present it to the rest of the class. This would be your presentational mode activity. Finally, students could invite each other to the restaurant and role-play scenarios. This would be your final interpersonal task. As you can see, all within the same theme and maybe a few days of instruction, you have covered all your modes through a series of different can-do statements, such as, I can identify some menu items. I can present a menu and explain the different food choice available. I can order a meal in a restaurant. I can discuss different payment methods, as well as many others. In the next few days, take some time to group your can-do statements and organize your content. Before we continue filling out our curriculum and designing activities, let's talk about the importance of authentic material. Authentic materials are a crucial part of an immersive language classroom experience. They are content that is created for native speakers of a language and not written or produced with second language learners in mind. That means that the structure, syntax, and approach to delivering the content is not modified or simplified outside of the language you would use to communicate with a native speaker. Some examples of authentic material can be commercials, newspaper articles, podcasts, comic book, movie previews, informative pamphlets, menus, and many more. How did authentic materials started being used in the language classroom? In the 70s, with the rise of the communicative approach, the emphasis was placed on real-life communication and tasks to learn a language. This way of thinking about classroom material naturally transitioned into using realia such as menus, travel brochures, and other readily available real-life samples from the target culture, as opposed to relying on English-based books and material specially prepared for second language learners. But why is it important to use authentic material? What is so wrong with using content that has been prepared for second language learner? Depending on the pedagogy that you follow in your classroom, there's nothing wrong with mixing second language learner-focused material with some authentic documents. I am not suggesting here to completely drop your classroom book or the resources that you're used to consulting, but authentic materials provide some advantages for your students that they won't find if they're only exposed to resources which have been adapted for them. Think of it like this. In your class, students are constantly exposed to input which has been simplified and modified for them. They're doing well and getting great marks and then decide to go on the internet and watch a commercial in the target language or search on a native speaker produced website. Chances are that your student will have trouble decoding what is in front of them if they're not armed with proper strategies to react to a large amount of input of a very high level. Some of them might even be so overwhelmed that they will feel completely discouraged of what they have learned so far and drop the task entirely. 
What use does learning a language have if they can't understand the language as it is used in the real world? I think we can all agree that we work as hard as possible to not have discouraged students. In comes authentic resources. Using those materials in your classroom, which are often at a much higher level than what your students can produce, helps them build on their tolerance for ambiguity. The tolerance for ambiguity is the ability that a learner has to react to an unknown situation with calm and then deploy some techniques that they have learned to gather as much meaning from the content as possible. Let's imagine that you are in a street in France and someone stops to ask you what time it is. If you have no tolerance for ambiguity, the person will speak really fast, you will look at them with some very large, very concerned eyes, and you will most likely shrug your shoulders and say, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Now, if you have learned some techniques to react to real-life content and how to decode it, the situation might go quite differently. The person will still approach you and speak really fast. We can't really help with that. But then, as your brain is slowly trying to process the blurb of input coming your way, you will start looking for some visual clues. Is the person doing any kind of gesture that might help you? Maybe this person is pointing at their watch. You might also ask them to repeat and see if you can identify some words that you know. Oh, let's see, you caught the word heure, cluing you in that this person might be speaking about the time. This is what I mean by tolerance for ambiguity. Because you were calm in this situation and relied on the techniques you learned, you don't allow yourself to be overwhelmed by the input. In some cases, it might still happen, but the more your students are exposed to native speech and content, the more they will retain from the flood of input they encounter. Back to our authentic material. By selecting the appropriate authentic material and working with your students to build on their tolerance and their techniques, you're allowing them to become more independent and able to interact with native content. The second great advantage of using authentic material is that it is an excellent way to provide cultural context to lesson and activities. In a perfect world, all classroom material would be free of stereotypes and cultural bias, but it's not the world we live in. Authentic material gives students a view of how people from the culture they are learning speak to each other, the kind of vocabulary and slang they use, what gestures are appropriate and which one are not, what kind of humor is particularly appreciated, what rules of society need to be followed. They're the next best thing to actually taking a trip with your students in the culture. For this reason particularly, there's strong content that demand to be discussed and analyzed past purely grammatical interest. They help your students see past stereotypes, but also discuss what they are and where they come from. Finally, they also offer a view of all countries speaking a language. When presenting materials from Spain and South America, for example, teachers are making a point that there is not one pure Spanish, but many cultures interacting under a shared language. Now, let's take a minute to talk about how to select authentic material. As I mentioned earlier, this content is often quite high above your student's proficiency level. To select the material, think of these three rules. Rule number one, the material you select should offer redundancy between content and the images. For example, if you're looking for content that will work with your low-level class, you should search for material which offers a high redundancy between what they can see and what they can hear. Perhaps you want them to start by focusing on the body language of the people in the video. 
Or if they're using a text, are there images that can clue them into what they're searching for? They should also be encouraged to watch, listen, or read the content many times to get used to the speed and try to understand more and more pieces as they work through the activity. As a student's proficiency level increases, the redundancy between what is said and what is seen is not as important as students will have more linguistic knowledge to support their interaction with the material. This brings us to rule number two, clearly define your task. As you work with any type of authentic material, your students should know exactly what they're looking for. Do you want them to tell you what the text is about? Are they noticing a grammatical structure? Are they filling the blanks in a conversation? Are they paying attention to a specific cultural reaction or interaction? In any case, your students should be listening, watching, or reading the content multiple times to complete the task. This allows them to reinforce the fact that multiple exposure to an authentic piece will bring out different kind of information each time. In the next episode, we will discuss in more details how to scaffold interactions with authentic pieces and grammatical content. But for now, know that your task should always be explained to the students so they know what to listen for. The final rule when selecting any authentic material is to keep in mind that you should always edit the task, not the text. The ultimate goal of using authentic material is to expose your students to native ready content. If you start reviewing pieces and parts, you're somewhat negating the effect of that authentic piece. Some might even argue that any content can be used with all levels, as long as you can create a task that will involve students of different proficiency. Let's put this theory to the test. Let's say that you're using the trailer of a movie as the authentic piece in your classroom. How would you use this content with novice, intermediate, and advanced students? Well, first of all, you might show the trailer to your novice class and ask them to create a timeline of what they believe the main events of the movie will be. For those students, they rely heavily on visual clues to accomplish the task. Bonus point if they can attach a word that define each section of the trailer that they outlined. For intermediate students, their task could be to complete parts of the dialogue that they can hear in the video. They would be focusing on hearing specific words. The teacher could even provide a comic book type version of the trailer with images and speech bubbles to help students know when the specific listening moments are coming. Bonus points if they can complete simple sentences in the past, present, or future. For advanced students, the teacher could ask the group of students to create a diagram of the relationship of the character based on their interactions in the trailer. Based on what they say, are they friendly or hostile to each other? Who seems to be allies? Or who is the bad guy? At this point, students can still focus on some visual clues, but most of the attention will be on their listening skills. How well can they hear the conversation and vocabulary used? A great follow-up activity could be to make them write a short movie review based on what they believe the story will be about. I think that in this case, we can successfully say that an authentic piece of material can be used at all levels. What about if you decide to pick a policy document or some article with no images. In this case, it will be a lot harder to create a meaningful task for your novice students. First of all, there will be no redundancy and no supporting images. But if you're dead set on having them work on that piece of content, they could be exploring the title of the article or try to find some words they know while scanning the text. 
Choosing a document that is more fun and meaningful for your novice students might be the best course of action at this point. This concludes today's episode on curriculum building and authentic material. Visit our webpage at resources.fueleducation.com forward slash podcast to find some visual support for today's episode and a blank template to create your curriculum. In the next episode, we will talk about how to properly scaffold activities using authentic material. We will also do a deep dive in grammar instruction. The Language Classroom is brought to you by Fuel Education. It is hosted by myself, André Anikin. Find more information on Fuel Education and their large catalog of world language courses at fueleducation.com.